Well, welcome back to the Gambone Law Podcast. My name is Alfonso Gambone, and, and as always, our podcast brings together the latest information to you and your family because we understand that these are important issues that we want to speak to you about whenever we present the podcast. Now, this particular podcast, we don't have a guest. I am going to go over the top 10 questions that we received in 2022 because these are the questions people found the most important and I think it's good to go over them just to kind of close out the year. How is Pennsylvania different from New Jersey when it comes to illegal possession of guns and firearms? Well, this is a great question because as I always say, Pennsylvania and New Jersey have very different laws with regards to guns and firearms. Now, the possession of a gun in Pennsylvania and New Jersey is illegal if you don't have a permit to carry that particular handgun. But the difference is, the main difference is that in New Jersey, the illegal possession of a handgun carries with it a mandatory minimum sentence. Now, both states, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, classify illegal possession as a felony crime. New Jersey doesn't call it a felony, it calls it a crime of a second or a third degree, but it's important to understand that it's a very serious offense in both states. Now, New Jersey has something called the Graves Act. And under the Graves Act, if you are found in possession of a handgun and you don't have a permit to carry, you face a mandatory minimum 42 month state prison sentence. Now, with that being said, it's almost impossible to get a permit to carry in New Jersey. So if you're carrying a handgun in New Jersey and you're traveling through the state, you are violating the law in New Jersey. Now, now there is a legal way to carry a handgun in New Jersey. I always tell people to carry it in a gun box and keep the ammunition separate, keep it unloaded. That is the only way to carry in New Jersey. Now, in Pennsylvania, there's no mandatory minimum sentence, but if you are arrested for legal possession of a handgun, you face a possible state prison sentence. And that, that's a very, very important distinction. Finally, New Jersey and Pennsylvania do not have reciprocity. So if you have a permit to carry in Pennsylvania, it does not transfer over to New Jersey. You can't take your Pennsylvania gun into New Jersey. So, so keep that in mind for you Pennsylvania and New Jersey residents. You can't crisscross the state with your handgun and just be in compliance with the law. How do Pennsylvania and New Jersey differ with regards to medical marijuana? Again, this is an important question. In New Jersey, marijuana is actually legal. Anybody can purchase marijuana in New Jersey provided that you go to a authorized dispensary. Now, there are limits on how much you can purchase. Uh, for dry marijuana, the limit is an ounce. For other forms, it is five grams. Now, that's important because in Pennsylvania, the possession of marijuana is actually illegal except for medical marijuana. New Jersey has a medical marijuana program as well, but in Pennsylvania, you can only purchase marijuana if you, if you have a medical marijuana card. In New Jersey, anyone can purchase marijuana even without a medical marijuana card. Now, in Pennsylvania, there are various illnesses and conditions which will qualify you for a medical marijuana card, but you have to go to a medical doctor who's been trained to uh, dispense medical marijuana. What is the difference between aggravated assault and simple assault? Again, a great question. Aggravated assault in Pennsylvania and New Jersey is a felony crime. Simple assault is a misdemeanor or in New Jersey, a non-indictable offense. Now, aggravated assault is a assault which occurs where the intent to cause bodily, serious bodily injury is found. 
and simple assault, it's an intent to cause bodily injury. And that's an important distinction. And bodily injury versus serious bodily injury, serious bodily injury is defined as the impairment or the, the uh, disruption of a bodily organ or a bodily function of some sort. Uh, we're talking about broken bones, uh, severe cuts, things of that nature, things beyond simple, uh, very uh, just low-level abrasions. A aggravated assault, again, is a felony crime. Simple assault is not. You can face a possible state prison sentence for an aggravated assault in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. You can also be charged in some cases with what's called a NERA offense, a no or release crime in New Jersey attached to the aggravated assault, which means you have to serve 85% of, of a term imposed. So for instance, if you were convicted of a crime of a second degree in New Jersey, you'd have to serve 85% of the term imposed and the maximum is 10 years. So you have to serve eight and a half years of that sentence. Pennsylvania doesn't have that type of statute, but again, a very serious offense, both in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. You have to keep it in the back of your mind. Simple assault and aggravated assault, people sometimes think they're the same thing. They're not, they're drastically different. Should you waive your preliminary hearing in Pennsylvania? Well, with regards to this question, the answer is it depends. In some situations, it is advisable to waive a preliminary hearing, but in others, it's not. I always advise clients that we should consider waiving a preliminary hearing if we're being offered something in exchange. And if I think the case is gonna be held for trial anyway, and we're getting a advantage in the sense of we're being offered a reduction in bail, or perhaps the dismissal or the downgrading of charges. Well, in that situation, it does make a, a strategic sense to, to waive the preliminary hearing. In other situations where the DA's office isn't offering anything, do the preliminary hearing because the judge then has the opportunity to hear argument from both sides and there's a good possibility you can have charges dismissed or downgraded. So that's the distinction. Yeah. Waiving it just to waive it never advisable, but if you're receiving something in exchange for waiving it, you and your attorney might wanna think about it because again, things like bail and the downgrading of charges should never just be just given up without considering that. How is New Jersey's bail system different from Pennsylvania? So New Jersey has a cashless bail system, Pennsylvania still has a cash system. So in New Jersey, if you're arrested, everyone is entitled to bail with the exception of a crime uh, with, with the exception of one crime, murder. In, in Pennsylvania, there's the same type of law, but the difference is, is that in Pennsylvania, there's a value assigned to the person's bail, whereas in New Jersey, the person's either held or released prior to trial. Now, the factors which determine bail are pretty much the same in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. In Pennsylvania and New Jersey, the judges look at risk of flight, so they look at what contacts the person has with the community in the form of, are they married, do they have kids, do they have a job, do they have a house, things of that nature. And the second factor is propensity toward violence or danger to the community. And that's based on criminal history or previous allegations that, for instance, arrest for, for uh, certain types of assault and obviously any crime of violence. They don't have to be convictions, but they can be arrests obviously. So um, all that factors in. And obviously, if it's a very serious crime with regards to a crime of violence, and it's a random act of violence, again, that could uh, weigh against the person when it comes to bail arguments. With regards to the factors and how a court determines, 
in New Jersey, there's a public safety assessment that's done, and basically there are numbers assigned to risk of flight and danger to the community. And after that, the judge will determine whether or not the person should be released. Now, in New Jersey, the prosecutor's office has to file a motion to detain someone in order to have a proceedings on pretrial detention. If the prosecutor's office does not file that motion, the person is released regardless of the crime. But in most situations in New Jersey, if it's a serious, serious crime, the prosecutor's office will file that that motion. In Pennsylvania, a person's arrested and the person will go before a judge or a magistrate and that person will set bail based on a value. And prior to setting bail, the magistrate or judge will hear argument and uh, following that argument, there are bail guidelines in Pennsylvania, but at this point, they're pretty much, I hate to use the word meaningless, but judges have a wide discretion with regards to setting bail. And again, bail is based on propensity toward violence and whether other persons of flight risk. Are warrantless vehicle searches legal in Pennsylvania and New Jersey? In New Jersey, warrantless searches are legal, meaning that police do not need a warrant to search your vehicle if they believe the vehicle contains evidence of a crime or they believe a crime was committed and the evidence of that crime was in the, the vehicle. So that's probable cause. In Pennsylvania, even if police have probable cause to believe a crime was committed and evidence of that crime is in the vehicle, they cannot search the car. They need a warrant. So, but there are exceptions. The big exception is if a person gives consent to search the vehicle. And that's why I would tell people if you're stopped for suspicion of anything and please ask for consent to search the car, do not give it because if they're asking for consent, in most situations, they need a warrant. And that's why they're asking you. But if you give consent, you're waiving your constitutional right against illegal search and seizure. The other exception is plain view, meaning that if police see it in plain view, they don't, they don't need a warrant to search a car, they can just seize it and obviously arrest you for whatever the contraband is, whether it be a gun or a legal firearm. Now in Pennsylvania, like I said before, police need a warrant to search a car. Warrantless searches are illegal in Pennsylvania, but again, they are legal in New Jersey. Okay, next question. Do police always need a search warrant to search your home? And the answer is yes. There are very rare exceptions like uh, a hot pursuit. So if the police are chasing you down the street and you run into your house, they can pursue you and they don't need a warrant. Once they're in the house, they're permitted to obviously arrest you and do what's called a protective sweep at the house. They can't do an extensive search, but they can look in closets and kind of look in any place where a person could be hiding. And that can virtually be anywhere in the house. And you know, again, there's an argument that, that a person could be hiding in even kitchen cabinets. Um, people have done it before. So again, once they're in the house, they can do that. In most situations though, the house, unlike a car, is where a person maintains the highest level of constitutional protection. So in those cases, in most situations, a court will require a search warrant, whereas a car, because a vehicle is considered a highly regulated industry already because of all the emissions and everything else that's required to drive your vehicle on the road, you have less what they call expectation of privacy. So in those situations, a warrant is required. Now remember, as I said before, New Jersey allows warrantless searches of vehicle, but, but police need probable cause. Whereas when it comes to a home in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, in almost all situations, they need a warrant. When must your attorney argue that your right against illegal search and seizure was violated? 
Again, another great question. This is a motion to suppress evidence. This is a pretrial motion which must be argued before trial. If your attorney does not argue that your rights were violated under the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution or Article One, Section 8 of the Pennsylvania Constitution or a section under the New Jersey Constitution, you cannot argue it at trial. So basically, if you don't argue it before trial through a motion to suppress, you waived your right. And in many situations, it's a very, very serious error because in a lot of cases involving the illegal possession of guns and firearms and drugs and contraband, the motion to suppress is your most powerful argument. Because again, if, if your attorney is successful in getting a motion to suppress granted, the evidence is excluded. And if they don't have any evidence, they they probably can't prosecute you for the for the contraband if the gun or the drugs are out of evidence in most situations the case falls apart and the cases are dismissed next question what is the difference between actual and constructive possession great question actual possession is where the contraband is found in your person whereas constructive possession is found in the area of media control so Example is police stop your vehicle and they uh, take you out of the vehicle and they, if you're in New Jersey, for instance, they, they have probable cause to believe the vehicle contains contraband and they find drugs underneath the driver's seat. Well, more than likely, the prosecutor is going to argue constructive possession because while the gun wasn't on your person, it was in your area of immediate control. Now, the further the gun gets from you in that vehicle, the better argument your attorney has. But obviously, if you are alone in the vehicle and no one else is there and the gun is in the back seat, again, that argument becomes harder and harder. Now, now, that being said, your attorney can still argue during a motion to press that police didn't have probable cause to even stop the vehicle. Again, a very, very powerful argument. Constructive possession, again, is argued in situations where the gun or the contraband is not found on the person's person, whereas actual possession is found during a is stop and frisk. So police pull you out of the vehicle and they find the gun or contraband on your person somewhere in your pocket or you know, on your pant leg or wherever they find it. Obviously, uh, constructive possession, it's a much stronger argument at trial, whereas actual possession, uh, it's a much more difficult argument. But keep in the back of your mind that police need at least reasonable suspicion to do a stop and a frisk. So that they simply just cannot just ask to search you without some type of um, suspicion that rises to the level of just more than a, just a hunch or a guess. They need something that they can articulate in court based on their experience, their knowledge, and their training. Last question. Why do you tell people not to make statements written or verbal to police? How can it make your case worse? Making a statement to police is never going to help your case. And I tell people all that all the time. And what I mean by this is not to be disrespectful to police. Don't be a jerk. Don't argue with the officer, just simply tell the officer in a very polite fashion, I'm not going to make any statements. I'm not going to say anything. If the officer asks you where you've been, where you're going, uh, where you're headed to, any of that, don't volunteer any information. If they're going to arrest you, they're going to arrest you anyway, regardless of, you, uh, of what you say. Now, police officers who are my friends have said, well, sometimes we ask questions because we want to get their side of the story. Well, of course they do, because they're helping the prosecutor build the case. In, in every situation, the police officer is going to go off of what the alleged victim said. As far as what you're saying in your, in your defense, that's for the courts. The officer's job is not to 
think about arguments or what's going to be presented in court. The officer's job is to act based on a complaint. If they have probable cause to believe that a crime was committed, they have to arrest you regardless of what you say. So if they're called to a scene and a person says, hey, Alfonso Gambone punched me in the mouth and here's the mark to prove it, well, that's all they need to arrest me for either aggravated or simple assault. If the officer comes to me and says, hey, hey Mr. Gambone, what happened here? And I go on and on about he, he hit me first and, and I'm just defending myself. Again, self-defense is a very strong argument, but that's an argument for court, not for the officer. And by telling the officer more or less what happened, first of all, you're admitting to the actual crime without even knowing it. And second of all, you're making your attorney's job even harder. The less evidence the prosecution has, the better the case will be. So keep that in the back of your mind. Don't make statements to police. Don't consent to a search and see, to a search your property or home. It's always better to remain silent. And again, if they're going to arrest you, they're going to arrest you anyway, regardless of what you say. So there we have it, the top 10 questions of 2022. It's been a great year this past year. We are looking forward to 2023. It's going to be an exciting year. Again, if you have questions or comments you'd like to make, please give us a call at 215-755-9000 in Pennsylvania or 856-793-7429 in New Jersey, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The website, GamboLaw.com. As always, a tremendous resource for you and your family. We will put the podcast up on the website and, and make it available to you like our previous episodes as well. In addition, we have our blog, our newsletter, our weekly e-update, and finally we have over 400 videos on YouTube which provide great information on pretty much any topic in the criminal defense world. So have a great 2023. I wish you all a happy new year and I'll see you all very soon.